to tell you that I'm super excited about this, this sermon series. It's, it's, I believe it's pivotal and very, very important for where our church is today. Our church, and not just our church, the church in general, but I want to speak specifically to our church. And I want to remind you of where we've been. We've been talking about defining the church and defining specifically the foundational principles of a great church. We said that, that, um, John, the revelator in John, I mean, in Revelation four, he talked about a vision he saw, not just any vision, but a vision that he saw when he was raptured into heaven. Now we talked about how he represents the church and this is after the rapture and he's seeing the foundational principles of the church in terms of God's holy throne. Cause we, we see more insight to this vision from the vision of Ezekiel chapter one. And we saw that Ezekiel saw something very, very interesting. He saw three different things as a part of this, this complete vision. Stay with me on this. He saw a wheel within a wheel. He saw creatures. He saw a firmament or some kind of platform that he described as a firmament like a crystal sea. So this must have been pretty awesome. And then on top of that firmament was the actual throne of Jesus Christ. He says it, right? I mean, it, it just the whole thing is described right there in Revelations 4 and in Ezekiel. And we said last week that these four creatures represent the foundational principles of the way God moves in his church. We said one of the creatures, each creature had four faces. So there's four of them and they each have four faces. One is the face of a man. On the left side is the face of a ox. On the back side is the face of an eagle. On the right side is the face of a lion. So he said that, that the face of the man represents the gospel. The gospel of grace that was given to man. And it's, it, it's, it's man that participates with God to share the gospel. To share the gospel. Now, we said on the left side is the ox. That's what we'll be talking about today. The ox represents service. The eagle represents worship. And the lion represents prayer. We said that the wheels move move according to the spirit of God. Now, as the wheels move, the creatures move. And as the creature moves, the throne of God moves. We said that the throne of God is what? He's over the earth. And we are to pray, let, let your will be done, Lord, on earth, even as it is in heaven. And so, the, so God, according to the spirit, will move the church in these different foundational facets. If he feels we need to move more in the area of, of the gospel, then he'll have us be focused on evangelism for a season. We might for, uh, focus on service for a season. We might focus on worship for a season. And we said, and I'm covering a little bit of, of background because I know there's a lot of folks that are new here right now. And I, I don't want you to be lost. So we said that sometimes the Spirit will have us moving in the area of worship. And those that are, that are more inclined to worship will be like, man, they're really feeling the Spirit. Oh, wow, that church is with it. They're anointed. They're awesome. Then we start moving more in the area of service and helps and reaching out and meeting people's needs through service. And those that might have been more inclined to worship say, man, I don't know what happened to Pastor Chris, but he stopped here in the spirit. He's just not feeling it. We're going to have to pray that he fall under the anointing again. And so we start thinking this way, but the truth is the spirit is going to move according to what God sees. 
And God knows the needs of the community. God knows the needs of the church. And God knows what's coming on the horizon and what we need to prepare for. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we need to be familiar with each of the foundational principles. Today we're going to talk about the ox and service. And I'm going to cover three principles or three points under the heading of service. I'm going to cover humility, meekness, and faithfulness. And they're going to go really, really quick. So stay with me on this. Now, now humility is something that's extremely important when it comes to the family of God. As a matter of fact, I can remember being a very young pastor and I wanted to make sure that we, we founded foundation on good principles and, 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 and able to build on something solid. And so I started looking around the country and I saw in Brooklyn, New York, a very interesting ministry headed by a pastor that never wanted to be a pastor. As a matter of fact, I think he was a basketball coach of some sort. And then he becomes a pastor and he starts to experienced this grand move of God. I said, man, Lord, I got to go see what this is all about. And he used to have prayer services, listen to me very closely, on Tuesday night. And in a 4,000-seat auditorium in Brooklyn, New York, they used to pack this Tuesday night prayer service to where if you didn't come early, you didn't get a seat. And they saw miracles taking place. People were being saved and set free. Drug addicts would stumble in off the street. They'd get prayed for and get set free. And then they'd start serving in the choir. Their whole life would change and they would give testimony and show pictures on how they were in the street, in the gutter. And now look at them, productive members of society because Jesus Christ touched their lives. And I'm like, I've got to go see what this is all about. And when I'm there, he invites us if we wanted to come early to the conference. Man, Melissa and I took advantage. We showed up early. We could be a part of a, of a banquet where he would address us and talk to us. And then this, this is what he said. He said, many of you have come to see kind of what the key is. I'm going to share the key with you. I know some of you are not pastors, so this, this key will be will work and, and it, it, it is the key to success in your business, in your marriage, in your organization. Wherever you apply this, this will give you success. So I'm on the edge of my seat. Come on, how many of you want to know the key? Anyone here want to know the key? He said it's very, 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 very important. And he said, and it runs deep. I mean, this is deep. So I'm ready. He says, humility. Come on, anyone here go, well, of course we knew that. He said, no, humility. And then he gave us a book by Andrew Murray. He said, and the title of the book was Humility. Read this every year and make sure you base your ministry on humility. I said, wow. Make sure you base your family on humility. You as a father, make sure you walk in humility. You as a business owner, make sure you walk in humility. You as a mother, you as a sister, you as a brother, you as a, do you see what I mean? Walk in humility and everything you do will succeed. And he starts to teach us, and I'm going, well, of course. But can I tell you something? That before Jesus Christ walked the earth, humility wasn't thought of this way. I mean, I want you to think about the ancient writings, and if you've never done any historical research on it, you can. And you won't find humility as a hallmark or a principle that's highlighted in leadership in the ancient world. You say, really? Yeah, I want you to think about the Babylonian writings, any writings about that we have found, they don't highlight and Nebuchadnezzar ruled from this year to this year and he was humble. 
He was meek. He was a servant of all. That's not what the Babylonian empire and the culture uh, uh, highlighted. How about this? It's not what the, what the Greeks highlighted. It's not what the Medes highlighted. It's not what the Persians highlighted. It's only been considered something beautiful and grand and wonderful after Jesus Christ came and showed what a mere servant could do. He did more than any man who's ever walked the earth and he did it in three years. Never holding an earthly title like king or, or nobleman or count or any of these, or duke or earl, or any of these titles that we throw around today. He did it through service. As a matter of fact, that's what he calls us to. He calls us to experience the greatest calling in our lives and that is to serve the king of glory. I want you to think about in God's kingdom, what is the highest title? What is the highest position? What's the highest place? What's the highest position of honor? Some might say apostle. Wow, in God's kingdom, apostles were really something. Can I take you to some of the apostles' writings? Read with me what Paul the apostle says in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. That's what he puts second. What does he put first? A servant of Jesus Christ. Go with me to Philippians 1.1. Paul the apostle, Timothy his protege. Servants of Jesus Christ. Or of Christ Jesus. How about James 1.1? The brother of Jesus. Wasn't James the apostle, but he was the brother of Jesus who wrote James. Listen to what he says. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what they highlight first? Watch this, Simon, Peter, a servant, and then an apostle. Why do they highlight service? The reason they highlight servant, because that's who you are, not what you do. Apostles, what I do, that's what I was assigned, but I will forever be a servant of Jesus Christ. I will always understand why I was created. I was created to serve him. I was created to worship him. I was created to be in relationship with him. This is beautiful because some of us, and I've heard not just, not not here, but I've heard at times that some people won't take a position unless they get a certain title. Do you realize that the title's not important? It's how you conduct yourself that's important. It's who you are. And this is what Paul is saying. You can put whatever title you want on me. At the end of the day, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this is a a lesson they had to learn the hard way. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, the apostles are are part of Jesus' traveling ministry. And so they're traveling from one area over to Capernaum, which is a city there in Judah, Judea. So they go over to Capernaum. Now watch this. When he was in the house, he asked them what they had been arguing about on the road. So Jesus heard it, but he didn't bring it up until later. When it was time to bring it up, come on, how many of you know timing is everything? Jesus says, now it's time. 
I'm not going to be arguing on the road, but now that we're in the house and it's just us, I'm going to ask you what y'all were arguing about. And you know what they told him? Nothing. They just got real quiet. Come on. How many of our kids do that? You know, we had, hey, what were y'all doing? Nothing. You can see him going, nothing. And so Jesus says, no, you were arguing about who was the greatest. Do you realize that we still argue about that today? You know, kids talk about being the goat. Oh, he's the goat. I'm the goat. They're the goat. She's the goat. He's the goat. Do you realize goats are ugly animals? They smell too. They stink. And if you ever want to know how, how you shouldn't want to be a goat is go and take care of some goats. And you'll realize they're hard-headed. You turn your back on them, they'll headbutt you. They're ugly. They stink. They eat all sorts of gross stuff. I mean, they're just not something you should celebrate. But everybody's like, oh, they're the goat. The greatest of all time. You You realize we still argue about this? Watch this. Watch this. Who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? You see, it just strikes up the debate because we love to argue about who's the greatest, right? Michael Jordan, I mean, it's just hands down. And if you say LeBron James, that's because you didn't see Michael Jordan play. But, but I'm telling you, it, it, we argue about this. Do you realize they were arguing too? But I want you to understand how Jesus, listen real closely, how Jesus addressed their argument. Notice what he did not do. He never told them in that chapter and any other chapter when he was addressing that argument, because it happened more than once. He never said, you should not want to be great. He said, you should want to be great. I put that in you. Jesus created us with a desire for greatness. Did you know that? We should want to be great. But we should want to be great in his kingdom, not in the world. And this is what he said. In my kingdom, it's not like the world. In the world, it's all about me, myself, and I. In the kingdom, if you want to be great, you must become the least to be the greatest. If you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to sit up front, you must sit back behind. And I'll bring you up front. It's always opposite. Why? Because what... What's intuitive to the flesh is completely wrong in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we're going by spiritual principles, not fleshly principles. This is why Jesus, this is the best one of all. Jesus said this, if you want to live, you must die. Think about that. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die to yourself and let me take control. Not me, me. Jesus. That's what he said. He said, let me take control. So if you think about this, because this is totally contrary to what we've been taught in the world. The Bible says things like this. If you want to receive, you must learn to give. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought if you want to receive, you got to be ambitious and take and (laughs) gather and, you know, and be ruthless. Yeah, if you want to do it the world's way. So he says, if you want to be the greatest, learn to serve. And he gets on his knees in one occasion. He starts to wash their feet. Now, I want to ask you a question. We don't wash, we don't wash each other's feet anymore. In their culture, they wore sandals. They walked everywhere, and it was dusty. And when they got full of dust, and they got all dirty, 
and they came over to your house, if they were one of your guests, you were responsible for washing their feet. Now, if you were um, affluent enough and you had a, uh, a servant, they would wash their feet for you. But if you didn't have a servant, whose responsibility was it? Yours. But we don't wash each other's feet anymore, thank goodness, right? What is the equivalent today? What would be considered the washing of the feet? I'm just, I want you to hold that in mind. But watch after the disciples started understanding this and they start the church. Look at what the Apostle Paul emphasizes in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. He says, in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than you do yourself. That means be about others. Be about others. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. And when you grab this principle, then you can understand verse 9. Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, God highly exalted him. This is the principle that's found throughout scripture. Watch. In Job 5.11, it says, he sets on high those who are lowly. He sets them on high. But you've got to be lowly first. How about this? In Matthew 23, 12. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I got, I got, I got more. They, all day long, they're all over God's word. Watch this. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones. And he exalted the lowly. This is God saying this. I I will exalt the lowly. I'll build up those who humble themselves. This is contrary to what the world teaches us. So I want you to think about this. Because the church, one of the foundational principles of God's church is being humble. Being a servant. And and being a servant requires being lowly of mind. Now, now I want to I highlight something very important for you because being lowly of mind is not just characterized by being humble. It also means being meek. And being meek and humble at the same time means their sincerity. It's not just a false humility. Come on, how many of you have ever met people that are false humble? What do I mean by false humble? Well, I never know if this person was false humbled or not because I didn't know him that well. But I remember meeting a very, very, very wealthy man. He was worth, uh, you know, almost a billion dollars. And I can remember meeting him and I came up to him and I said, hello, sir. I was there to meet a certain person, but I didn't know what he looked like. I said, I'm Chris Pena. And he told me his name. And I said, "Uh, what do you do? And he says, oh, I just, they just let me hang out here a little bit. And then I said, no, seriously, what do you do here? And he said, I'm just a janitor. And he actually owned the entire place. And it was, it was his summer vacation home. And now it turned into a business. And so then he told me it was him. And then we got to talking over lunch. And he says to me, uh, ask me any question. I said, okay, my question is, how did you... What did you do to get here? He said, 
I didn't do much of anything. I just got lucky. I said, well, I don't believe in luck. He says, well, then I got blessed. That's what he said. I said, well, well, what did you do to get blessed? Because come on, how many of you know you got to do something? At least that's my thoughts. He said, well, I developed a, a little track of land. And that was all it took. It just, it just turned into a lifetime of development. I said, really? He goes, yeah, do you know, are you familiar with Houston, Texas? Come on, how many of you are familiar with Houston, Texas? I said, yes, sir, I'm familiar with Houston, Texas. He goes, do you know a place, uh, an area of Houston called uh, Champion Forest? I said, yeah, I know Champion Forest. That was one of the fastest growing areas in the nation for a long time. He said, well, I just developed Champion Forest. It's like, now, I couldn't tell if he was being false humble, but it was getting anything out of it. it was so funny. And I'm just trying to get to know him, you know, and he was just so humble. But meekness makes sure it's not just false humble, it's real. Amen. And I want to tell you a story about one of the meekest men in the Bible, and it's Moses. Now, Moses is leading God's people for God. It wasn't his idea. God appointed him. He's leading God's people. And he happens to have at his side Miriam, his older sister, and Aaron, his older brother. Now, as siblings will do, they began to argue. And at first, they attacked him for the wife he married. Come on, how many of you know people are always going to get in your business? Can you just say, I'm one of those people? No, no, not really. We are both one of those people. Because it's funny how I like to say, well, Lord, you know, people always want to get in people's business but then God says you're one of those that likes to get in their business too and so we're all the same in a sense but this is what happened uh you have you have his brother and sister start criticizing him for the wife he married why did he marry an Ethiopian and God's ears perk up like okay what are you talking about my servant here for but I think God was okay as long as they kept it in the family And they were getting in Moses' business. But the very next statement, they get into God's business. How so? Because then they went from criticizing his wife to criticizing him as a leader of God. As a servant of God. And this is what they said. Why are you in charge? Why couldn't we be in charge too? And that's when God said, in my office... I need to see all three of you in my office. It's a beautiful thing because he sends them to the, to the tent of the tabernacle of meetings. And he shows up, and this is where we pick it up. Listen to my words, God said. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I want you to highlight that. See, he's humble and meek, And he's faithful where? In God's house. Not in his own house. In God's house. Why is that significant? What was the argument started with? It was started with Moses' house. Why did you marry the woman you married? Isn't it interesting? And then they got into God's house. And said, why are you boss? Why are you in charge? And God says, now, wait a minute. He is faithful in all my house. 
He's all about me. Okay, so watch this. Keep going with me. I speak to him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of, my, of, of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. And when he departed, he cursed Miriam. And she was white as snow with leprosy. And so the story goes that Moses has to inter, you know, has to uh, intercede and intervene for her. But that's not what I want to, I want to share with you. What I want to share with you is this. Moses was humble and the God highlights him and says, I get close to Moses. I don't stay far off. I don't go through dreams and visions. I get up close, face to face with him. And it was humility that did it. Did you know that? Well, pastor, I don't know because it's not anywhere in these. Go back to verse three. We're at verse six, seven, eight, nine. But if you go to verse three, what does the Bible say? Moses was a very humble man. In fact, he was the most humble on the face of the earth at that time. Whoa, snap. That's big time humble. But do you realize that the Hebrew word doesn't just mean humble? In some versions, you might be reading in your Bible, it actually means meek. Because it's something more than just a, oh, I'm no good, woe is me. It's something where you really do care about other people sincerely more than yourself. It means what God highlighted. He takes care of God's house more than he takes care of his own house. And why are you criticizing him? Ooh. So God says he takes care of my house. So I have this to share with you. Because every year I get, I get requests to pray for folks. And they say things like, man, pastor, Things are really going rough for me and I feel like I'm right there. And every time I feel like I'm making ground, something will happen. And it's like something's conspiring against us. It's like the devil just shows up. He's got me like a, like a, duck, like a duck on a June bug, like white on rice. I mean, he's just on me and I just can't seem to break free. Anyone ever feel that way? Like, I mean, I'm right there. And then I get discouraged or something breaks or something happens and I just don't make that headway that I feel I'm going to make. Anyone? I see a bunch of people nodding their heads. So let me share with you what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of James, get near the Lord, draw close to God. He will draw close to you and the enemy will flee. He'll flee. He'll flee. So you say, how do I draw near to God? How do I draw near to God? I need to read his word. I need to know his word. Do you realize the enemy knows his word? He's not near God. I need to believe more. Do you know the, the, the devil believes there's God? He doesn't, he's not near him. Well, then what is it? Do those things, but you got to do it with humility. Because the one thing the enemy doesn't have is Humility. And that's why he's not near God, because it was pride that was found in him that separated him from God. Do you remember? In, in Isaiah, Isaiah says, the devil's, and we call those the I will statements, the I statements, where the devil says, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I will put my throne on the highest mountain. I will. And God says, no, you won't. Get out of my sight. 
No, you won't. See, because God cannot stand to be around pride. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that even the proud look, God hates it. You know, it's interesting because when, when you can always tell the young guys, I was younger, I used to get in trouble just with my walk. You walk in some place and you got that Denzel Washington walk and, and I would, I, you know, I'd get, I mean, I would just get in trouble. And one of my friends says, it's that darn walk of yours. He did. It's that walk of yours. You, you walk like, like John Travolta mixed with Denzel. And people can't stand it. Guess what? God can't stand it either. He says, even the proud look, I can't stand. Wow. See, pride leads to rebellion. And in order to have good relationships, there needs to be submission, which is the opposite of rebellion. The opposite of pride. You say, oh, there's that word again, submission. And some of my guys are going, preach it, pastor, preach it. Why? Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's my, that I knew we came on a good Sunday, honey. Let, let, hear it. She needs it. She need give it to her. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, that verse in Ephesians is, is after the verse that says submit to one another. Because if she's going to submit to you, you've got to learn to be submissive yourself. And the truth is, you can't expect her to submit to you as unto the Lord if you haven't understood that Jesus was humble and he was a servant. And he served the church to the point that he gave his life. Uh Uh-oh. This took a wrong turn. Do you see what I'm saying? At the end of the day, humility and meekness is what Jesus blesses. And that's why in in, in, in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this is where we finish. When we walk in faith, I mean, when we walk in in humility and meekness, then we need to be faithful and we really have the winning qualities of service. Now, what is faithfulness? Well, Jesus says, as he's, as he's talking to his disciples about the end of times, he gives them an entire chapter dedicated to the details of what they should expect. But then the next chapter Matthew 25, he tells them stories about the details he just gave them, okay? And they're called parables, and he says, you need to be ready. That's the main thing, be ready. Now, I want you to think about this, because the Bible tells us, in order to be ready, we need to understand that we're going to face some really dark times. And the Bible literally says there are going to be times where people are lovers of themselves. They will hate what is good. They will be proud, blasphemers, haughty, selfish. And yet Jesus is saying, but I need you to be a servant. In the midst of that attitude, be a servant and do it in my house. Do it in my house. And so he gives them this parable. He says, there's a a master. He's going away on a trip. Guess who the master is representing? Jesus, 
He calls three servants, his servants of his household, and he divides to them as he wills. Not in a socialistic manner where they all get the same. No, he gives them according to what he determines they should have. I want it to be 6-6, but God didn't determine that, right? I wanted to throw a fastball like Nolan Ryan, but God didn't determine that. He determined for me to have the gift of gab and share the gospel. And I love that, amen? So this is what he says. He says, I'll give you, to the first servant, I'll give you five bags And he uses the word talents, which is a certain measure. I don't want you to get caught up on that because what it represents is something of value. He gives the first servant, he gives him five units of it. Second servant, two units. Third servant, one unit. He goes off on his trip. He comes back a long time later. Says, where is what I gave you? You were a steward. That means you were supposed to manage it for me. The first one comes up, he goes, here's the five you gave me and five more. Second one comes up, here's the two you gave me and two more. Third one comes up and he says, here's the one you gave me and I'm going to knock some dirt off of it. Here you go. Bam. There it is. And the master says, where's my investment? No, no investment. That's it right there. I'm sorry. Let me, let me dust that off for you. See, I dug a hole and I put it in there. And when I heard you were coming back, I just went and dug it back out. And here it is. What does the parable say that servant is called? Lazy. Wicked. Go to verse 26. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at least gotten me some interest. At least. Now, what if the servant had said, oh, I made all kinds of money, but I made it for myself. I was taking care of my house. What do you think Jesus would have said then? No, no, no. We already know Moses was considered faithful because he was faithful in whose house? God's house. So you say, but not everything has to be about the church. No, everything has to be about the kingdom. So if you have a business, how does it benefit the kingdom? Do you get up every morning and say, Lord, this is your business. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear so that I may help who you want me to help. That I may conduct myself in a way that brings you glory, you honor. That I would walk in righteousness and do things right so that when they deal with me and anyone comes in contact with me, they would know that I am your servant. And they would want to know more about my king and I would be able to tell them about my king. Lord, help me so that my gifts and the things and the way you made me uniquely, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I would use them to bring you honor, that your kingdom would expand, that your will would be done in me and through me. God, see, this is real faithfulness. And, and, and so this is what I want us to see here, guys, that we 
need to see everything that God has given us as a chance to bring him glory. And that someday we're going to stand before our maker. Come on now. Someday we're going to stand before our maker. And I know a lot of preachers that have, that have taken this verse and said, well, he's not talking about the judgment. Oh, he's not talking about the judgment? Go to verse 30. Go to verse 30. Watch this. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Well, it just means like, like for temporary. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you realize that he uses that phrase to describe hell? Because what Jesus is saying, listen to me very, very closely. You were created to serve me. And you either serve me or you'll serve the other guy. Isn't that what he says in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to serve me and hate him, the one who rules the world. Or you're going to serve him and hate, despise me. But you can't serve both of us. And then watch, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you'll either build my kingdom and enjoy my kingdom, or you'll be a usurper. A usurper builds their own kingdom against the king. Uh Uh-oh. Now I just got real. So you say, Pastor, how should I be? Look, I started asking the hard question. This is where we finish. To Lord, how can I be a better servant? And I felt like he said, you need to prepare better and you need to give my people more of my food, more of the spiritual food that I've called you to give. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm all about it. And in between services, don't chat it up. Go back to the office and pray. Pray and prepare your heart because I know you love to to fellowship, but more important than the fellowship is the sharing of my word, and I need you focused. Wow. He said, if you were an athlete, would you be chatting it up, or would you be getting focused? If you were a musician, would you be chatting it up, or would you be getting focused? He says, well, you're more important than both, because you preach my living gospel. You preach my gospel. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I got to make some changes. Anybody here saying I got to make some changes? And so I want to finish with this. Paul made some changes in his life. In Philippians 3, he says, I used to look at things one way, but when I met Jesus, everything changed. Watch this, verse 4. Though I myself thought I had a lot of reasons to be confident in my own flesh, that means I would puff myself up. And if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And regarding the law, I, uh, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I kept everything the law had to say. I was perfect. Now watch what he says. But whatever were gains to me, whatever I thought was, I was gaining... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I I lose it. I let go of it. Watch. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them garbage. I consider them dung. I consider them poop. I'm using different versions. That I may gain Christ. I turn my back on all this stuff because I want to gain Christ. Watch this. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That comes from doing things because people say I'm great in a worldly system. Watch. That comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. Becoming like him even in his death. Water baptism. And what? And somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this. Or have already, what? Met my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, one thing I do, not many things, not a lot of things. One thing I do, oh, hyper-focused, one thing I do. I used to be about all this stuff, but now it's garbage to me. One thing I do, one thing I do. One thing that is absolute supreme importance to me. Watch. Watch. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenward. When I read that, I don't know about you, I can't help but get pumped up. Paul is describing his paradigm shift to us. He said, I used to be one way, but something interrupted that. And now I've switched, I've changed. I look at things differently. I look at things differently. And I want to share with you, be a servant in God's house. See things differently. Jesus is coming back. You want to hear those words. Well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Think about it. This is where we finish. I'm going to put a QR code up here. And I'm going to ask you, if you haven't found a church to serve in, we'd love to have you serve in this church. If you found this church, but you haven't started serving, I'm going to ask you to serve. Have a paradigm shift. Do something for the Lord. Say, God, you've given me something. Surely I can give it back. Amen? Surely I can give it back. And I want you to know, those 30 people that were baptized, if you serve in some capacity, you share in that. You share in that increase for the kingdom. If you sweep, if you mop, if you vacuum, if you shake someone's hand as a greeter, as you make, if you make sure to set up and tear things down, if you sing, if you preach, if you teach on our, on our teaching team, if you're a disciple maker, if you're part of this church's ministry in some kind of way, 
I'm not saying just sitting there. Sitting there is just, that's just receiving. I'm talking about giving. You say, Pastor, well, I give faithfully in my tithe. Then you're part of it. You're part of it. And you're banking treasure in heaven where God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to encourage you, come be a part of a church. Today, people don't want to commit. I'm asking you to commit. It's the most valuable thing you can commit to, God's church. So I'm going to ask you to commit. And I'm going to put this QR code here, and I'm going to ask you to scan it. Would you just take your phone out right now? Where's my phone? Scan that QR code. I want you to, I want you to volunteer in our cafe, maybe as a greeter. You might have an amazing voice. You need to be up here on the worship team. You might be able to play. You know, every once in a while, we'll have somebody say, yeah, I, I used to play guitar and I'm this fabulous guitar player and I'm like what are you doing just sitting there right come be part of something today's the day today's the day I love you church I love you church The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, the least you can do is serve him after what he did for you. I think he's right. So as you take communion today, I want you to be excited about serving him. Say, Lord, I get to be like you. I get to be transformed by your redemptive power and I get to give back in some way. Amen. So the Bible says when we partake of communion, we partake as a family and we announce his death and remember him until he comes. So we're saying, Lord, we know that you gave your body to be broken for us on the cross. You gave your blood to be shed so that we might have forgiveness and be washed white as snow. We know that you're coming back and we can't wait. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, thank you. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.